0: So we're in Deuteronomy. Those of you who have been here for any length of time know my take on the Torah. The five books of the Torah are basically the path of every believer. Deuteronomy is Moses' last set of instructions to the people who he has been leading for 40 years before they go into the world. And the people who are going into the land have grown up in the wilderness they have grown up with water flowing from a rock, they've grown up with manna falling from heaven they've grown up with the very presence of God in the middle of the camp and they're going to go into a different spiritual regime so as they go across the Jordan things are going to change for them and they don't have any experience with it because remember the people who came out of Egypt have all died in the wilderness or at least those who were over 18 or 20 when they came out of Egypt So. All of these people that are going into the land were either born in the wilderness or have grown up in the wilderness, so they don't have any experience with planting crops and doing all the stuff that normal people do. So Moses' book of Deuteronomy is his practical instructions from somebody who grew up in the world, led them 40 years, and is now sending them back into the world. There's a couple of themes in this book of Deuteronomy. And those two themes, I'm going to suggest to you, are designed to evoke certain emotions. And then those emotions are supposed to manifest themselves somehow. So let's look at the themes first. The two themes that are dominant in the book of Deuteronomy are remember and hear or listen. So, for example, Deuteronomy 6. You all know this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's a Shema, we shall have a day, here. Uh, in today's Torah portion, Deuteronomy 9. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourselves, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak. Know therefore today that he who goes over before you is as a consuming fire is the Lord our God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you so that you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised. So the deal here is here. Listen. Remember, Deuteronomy 5.15 from last week's Torah portion, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm Deuteronomy 7.17 today's Torah portion if you say in your heart these nations are greater than I how shall I dispossess them you shall not be afraid of them you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt and then again from today's Torah portion Deuteronomy 8.12 and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So the two themes here that are just all throughout the book of Deuteronomy is hear or listen and remember. And I'm going to suggest that there's a reason that those are the two dominant themes, because they're supposed to evoke in you emotions and the two emotions that are supposed to evoke in you are faith and trust and gratitude I'm reading a book that Galen recommended to me, it's uh, The Philosophy of Religion I think uh, by Gamne and Herschel. I find him very difficult to read, he's very good but I find him very hard to read because he did not think like I do but his point is during your life everyone has a flash of what he calls the infinite or the ineffable. In other words, you realize at some point that there is something way beyond this creation that you're involved with. You don't necessarily understand it, but you get a flash that it's there. Those flashes typically come rarely. And, at least according to me, there's a reason for that. And the example I give is if you've got a state patrolman in the right seat beside you as you're driving around in your car, you're going to really be well behaved because he's sitting there with his ticket pad and so you're going to make sure that you make all the stop signs, you're going to make sure that you don't go over the speed limit and so forth. So one of the things that God does is he pulls back to give us room to grow because if he sits in the right seat of your car, you never have any opportunity to mess things up and you never have any opportunity to learn from your mistakes and you never have any opportunity to grow. So these flashes of the infinite are typically rare for most people. So the only thing that you have to sustain your faith is memory. You remember, you read the scriptures which are the memories of other people, you hear the testimonies of other people which are their memories and all of those things are intended to sustain your faith. The other thing that it's supposed to do is invoke gratitude. Because one of the things that God says is, Remember what I have done for you. Remember where you were before I took you out of there. In the case of Israel, they were in Egypt. In the case of you all, you were walking in sin and darkness until God reached in and took you out of there. So the idea there is that you should... Feel an emotion of gratitude for what God has done for you. And that's, again, a major, major theme in this Torah portion. Remember what God did for you and be grateful. Remember what God did for you and trust that he will do it again. Remember what God did for you and have faith that he is able to do that when you move into this new spiritual regime. And in that process, also listen to him. Now the manifestations of those two emotions, faith and gratitude, should be obedience and generosity. So if you trust in God, you remember what he has done for you, then the evocation of that or the manifestation of that is you should do what he says you should do and the other manifestation of gratitude is she should be able to pass that gratitude on in the form of generosity so let's talk about remembrance the other thing about remembrance is there's another component besides faith and trust and that's fear because one of the things that God does in the wilderness is when they get too far out of bounds there are in fact consequences so, in addition to having faith that he loves you, faith that he's good, faith that he will do what he has said he will do, you also should have some holy fear that he is, in fact, capable of reaching out and correcting you if you get too far out of bounds. Let's talk about hearing or listening. We grow up in a culture that is fundamentally Greek, and the dominant way of finding things out in the Greek mindset is by seeing, not by hearing. Do you see what I'm saying? Very common phrase. Well, how do you see what I'm saying? The metaphor is that you're gaining understanding by being able to see. Let's throw some light on the subject. Again, that's a visual metaphor. Gee, that was really an illuminating speech. Again, visual. Now, science depends on two things. Observation and reason. You see something, you reason about it, and then you draw some conclusions. That's the Greek way of thinking. That's the Greek way of dealing with the world. And it's very powerful. That's the thing that makes your car drive down the road. That's the thing that flies people to the moon. That's the thing that does all sorts of stuff. Science is very powerful, but it's based on seeing and reason. These are not bad things. I'm not suggesting that they're bad. I'm simply suggesting it's one way of dealing with the world, and it's the way that you all have been taught from the time that you were born to deal with the world. It's fundamentally different than the way the Hebrew Bible wants you to deal with the world. The Hebrew Bible wants you to hear or to listen. Go back to the garden. I'm going to take you back to Genesis 3. Everything goes back to the garden. I'm in Genesis 3, 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, now how do you see that something is good for food? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a light to the eyes, And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Notice that the entire metaphor in that vignette is visual. And the result of that entire metaphor, which is visual, is the mess we're in now. So what I'm suggesting is that the Bible's metaphor is listen, the world's metaphor is look. And again, don't get me wrong, God gave you two eyes. You are expected to be able to see and you're expected to be able to look. So it is not, in fact, the thing that seeing is bad. It's just that seeing, uninformed by hearing, will lead you into places you don't want to be, which is what happened to the woman back here in Genesis 3. The other thing about seeing or looking or vision as your dominant metaphor for dealing with the world is vision is detached. I can stand back here and look at you all and say, hmm, didn't comb his hair this morning. Hmm, didn't shave. Hmm, doesn't drive a very nice car. Hmm, doesn't dress very well. In other words, I don't have to have a relation with you in order to make judgments about you. If my metaphor is primarily visual, if my primary metaphor is hearing, in order to hear, I have to engage in a conversation with you. We have to talk, and I have to listen, and one hopes you'll listen to me. The difference is detachment or relationship. And what God is looking for from us is a relationship. Hence, his metaphor is listen. Speak to me. Come, let us reason together. Let us talk together. Let's have a conversation. And the reason for that is he wants dialogue, relationship, not just judgment. One of the things, as I said, is that hearing is a metaphor, develops a relationship. It should also develop in you gratitude. If you have a relationship with this God who wants to have a relationship with you, the reaction to that ought to be gratitude. Now, one of the things, again, that's in today's Torah portion, is God talks about how he takes them out into the wilderness, he deprives them of food, he deprives them of water, he deprives them of all the stuff that is in the world, and, oh, by the way, you're supposed to be grateful for that. So what's he saying? If you were to take your child and deprive him of food, deprive him of water, and deprive him of his tablet or whatever it is that he stares at all day would your child be grateful probably not so what's going on there what God is saying is when I took you into the world my goal here is to develop your heart and so what I did is I took things away from you with the intention that I was going to give them back He does give them manna from heaven, and he does give them water from the rock. He doesn't let them starve to death, and he doesn't let them die of thirst. They're going to be given back to you, but what we want to do is develop your heart. And one of the things that developing your heart requires is getting out of the world for a while. Getting out of the place where you are getting out of the things that are familiar to you. Because if you go through life just sort of trudging along and everything is routine and everything is provided for you, you don't ever have the stress that causes you to back up, think, reflect, and develop your heart. So, for example, I used to be in the Army. And one of the things we would do in the Army is we would deprive people of food. I remember going through ranger school. Not to tell war stories, but in ranger school, you would be out in the bushes for a week at a time. You would get one meal a day. You know, one sea ration meal a day. Now, we were burning calories at a far greater rate than one meal a day, I will tell you. Because you're, you know, you're walking, you're walking all night, you're doing all sorts of stuff. And so you're burning calories way faster than one meal a day. And what that did is it teaches you some stuff. It teaches you what you're made of. It teaches you what you can endure. You come out of that stronger and tougher and able to do things that you didn't realize you could do before. So when God takes you into the wilderness and he withholds water, he withholds food, and he withholds all the distraction of the world, what you learn is what are you going to be like when you don't have all of the things that you want. And he says, I deprived you of those things to test you and see if you would obey me. Isn't that what the scripture says? The reason I did that is to see what was in your heart so that I would then know what you needed to develop your heart. So, one of the things that this society is lacking these days is in the young, people who love them enough develop their hearts. We have an epidemic of fatherless children. I read a really interesting aphorism, I guess you'd call it, the difference between mothers and fathers. Mothers cuddle, fathers poke. And so if you have a child that has grown up with the nurture and the care of a mother, but not the challenging and poking of a father, there's a problem with the heart development because they don't have that side of what they need so how is all this supposed to manifest in you in other words if you understand what God is doing you understand what he was doing in the wilderness and he's doing the same thing with you how is that supposed to manifest well the first way is obedience you're supposed to recognize that God's laws the things that he tells you are laws are first off for your own good The example I use is if you don't ever steal anything, you're never going to go to jail. So the first thing is following the law is what I call enlightened self-interest. But it's also relational because as you obey your father, you develop a relationship with him. As you hear his voice and hear his word and hear his Torah, you develop a relationship with him. So far beyond simply the enlightened self-interest, you know, it said in the Torah portion last week, that the nations will look at you and say wow this is a wise and great nation who has its God near to them and has these laws that they obey and the laws then are a witness to your wisdom and your greatness but the other part of that is it's relational and then generosity should be your other reaction now There's two manifestations of that, or at least two that I have. You may be able to find more. One is, you would like to bring others into this relationship that you have. And indeed, that's Israel's mission, isn't it? I have taken you out of Egypt, I have taken you to myself, I have brought you to this mountain, I have given you these wise laws and now I'm sending you back into the world and what I want you to be is someone who will draw the world to me. That's their mission. So a manifestation of the gratitude that I am sure you all feel for the fact that God has brought you into relationship is you should want to share that. You should want to be generous with that relationship. You should want to bring other people in. I had a boss years ago before I was a believer. This was in the army and he was a rabid born-again believer and he just kept proselytizing me and I had known this guy at that point for almost 20 years. He had been my company commander in Vietnam and he wasn't a believer then. But by the time he was a colonel he had found God and was just hammering me and I wasn't receptive and of course you all know the the deal in, in, in the government that you're not supposed to proselytize and so forth as I say he and I had a relationship going back decades so I, it didn't bother me but he said John what I am is I'm a guy who has found this wonderful buffet that is just full of wonderful good food, and what I want to do is share it." And so the idea is he is being generous with the thing that he has found. So the first thing that all of this ought to evoke in you is a feeling of generosity. The other thing is, generosity is good for you. I was reading Sachs last night, and he was referencing a study that they did of a bunch of nuns. and at the beginning of their novitiate back in the forties they had them all fill out a questionnaire why do you want to be a nun, you know, what's your spiritual condition, what's your uh, emotional condition, you know, how do you feel about this, that, and the other thing and they wrote all that down and then they studied them over the years and what they discovered is those who were primarily grateful were healthier they lived longer by decades i mean not not just you know sort of a statistically valid variation big differences those who had a good attitude and were grateful for what god did and expressed that gratitude lived longer and were healthier as they lived So again, this is like obedience, where I say obedience to God is enlightened self-interest. I mean, your life will just go better if you do it God's way. It's the same thing with gratitude. It's enlightened self-interest. Your life will just go better. You'll be healthier, you'll be happier, you'll live longer, all of those things, if you operate in what Roy calls an attitude of gratitude. It just works. In addition to which, it's a relationship that God wants you to have with him and with the people around you. Remember, he has brought you out of wherever you were for a purpose. And that purpose is twofold. It's to have a relationship with him, of course. But it's to bring others in, to be an example, to go out and bring people into this wonderful thing that you have found. Now, there's two words in the Bible for gratitude. Zadokah and Nehavut. Zadokah is commanded giving. So the tithe, the offerings that you bring up to the feast, all those kinds of things are Zadokah. And you're just supposed to do those. Netavut is different. Netavut is giving that comes from the heart. In other words, you see some need that you can meet and your heart just goes out and you just give. You're generous. And the heart development that God is trying to develop you into is the nedavut side of it it's sort of assumed that you'll do the zadokah that's just obedience, and don't get me wrong obedience is important, it's a really good thing but where he's trying to get you to is the spirit of generosity rivers of living water will flow from your belly and that's what God wants you to be he wants you to be the source of living water that flows from you and that source comes from memory, listening to God, and then following the emotions that that hearing should generate. That's what he wants you to do. Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.